You're a good, faithful God. Thank you for blessing our church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, who's ready for the word? I'm ready for the word. Why don't we stand, honour the word of God and welcome Pastor Jonathan as he brings it this morning. Thank you, Di. How are you doing? Good, good. Well, we're going to pray and then we're going to get into the word. Father, we thank you today for your amazing goodness, your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you that you are infinite, infinite in love, infinite in understanding, that you are ever present. There's nowhere that we can go where we can escape your presence, even if we wanted to. You're always with, with us. You said that you would never fail us, that you would never forsake us. Thank you, Lord, for the future that you have in your heart and in your mind for each one of us. And I thank you, Lord, that today we can, we can gather together. We can honor you and worship you on this, the first day of the week. And, Lord, that we can understand and know your resurrection power at work in each one of us. Help us to bring hope to our world this week in every conversation, in every meeting, Lord. And I pray that you will continue to work in and through us individually and as a church community and family as we move into these next weeks and months. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Thank you to our worship team. You're the last one standing here. Uh, Reno's here. Um, great to see you all. I hope that you had a great Easter um, I was saying last night that I thought Easter seemed like a dim memory to me, even though it was just a week ago. And uh, so we're, uh, we pray that you had a great Easter, uh, and it's good to see you in church today. Uh, how many of you know that church happens 52 days of the year, not just on Easter Sunday and Christmas Eve? And so we're here today. And I'm glad that you are. And for those that are watching online, we want to give you a special welcome. Good to have you with us and hope that uh, today the message will uh, encourage and inspire you and that you will have enjoyed our time of worship together. Um, Di has actually used a QR code before. I've witnessed it with my own eyes in a restaurant. Uh, uh, there are some good things that have come out of COVID, yeah? And QR codes and the use of them, are, uh, and uh, as well as Zoom, are some of the good things that have come out of out of this last season. But yes, she has. So, a couple of things I want to talk about. We're coming into the month of May. The month of May is a great month yes. for a number of reasons. It's at the beginning of summer, and I love summer. I've always said there was no winter before Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden. Uh, I love summer. I love summer in Southern California. May happens to be the month in which I was born. So for me, it's a good month. I wouldn't be here if, it, if the calendar went January, February, March, uh, April, June, July, August. I would not be here. Neither would you or you, Polly, or uh, Jana, whose birthday is on the same day as me. Um, sorry? And Jacqueline, okay, yeah, we're going to keep going. And our twin boys. And anyone else born in May, raise your hand now or forever hold your peace. Uh, so, so there you go. But May is a month of miracles where 
we believe God together as a church for miracles. There's something powerful about focus. God can do a miracle any day of the week, any month of the year. But we as a church over many years have, have had a special focus in May on miracles. We've also had a special focus in November on Thanksgiving. Wonder why. And uh, so this May, as usual, we will be believing God together for miracles. We'll have miracle cards on every seat next Sunday that you can fill out and something powerful about writing it down. Um, and, and we will be praying in the services and we'll be standing with you and believing with you for miracles in every sphere of your life. Um, we've had so many answers to prayer over the years. And during the month, of course, Mother's Day is on the uh, 8th of May, I believe. And we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day will be a special day. But next Sunday is the 1st of May. And so I want to be talking about how you can experience a miracle in your life. And on the Saturday, which is next Saturday, the 30th of April, the last day of April, we have a special Zoom call. It's a, a Miracle May Generosity Zoom call. And we're going to be encouraging all of our kingdom builders who are people who, who believe that God has given them a vision to uh, equip the church and to contribute to the church through their financial contribution over and above their tithes and offerings. But this is a, a Zoom call for everybody uh, the, on the eve of Miracle May where we're, we're, speaking, we're praying about generosity. And every miracle that happened in the Bible happened out of an act of generosity. Thank you for that underwhelming response. God, the miracle of Jesus' birth was an act of, Jesus, of God's generosity. Every miracle that took place in the Bible, and many of them were, were primed, miracles that took place were primed by the generosity, someone giving, uh, make, giving a gift, giving an offering, whatever it might have been. So we are going to be praying in this Zoom call next Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9.30. And we're going to be praying specifically for financial miracles. For who? For you. Um, anyone here uh, would like a financial miracle? Yes, sir. Yeah, one or two people here. I, me too. We all need financial miracle. I know people, may, it may be that you're believing God for something. Maybe it's a property. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a, a family situation. Maybe it's a health. But the reality is when it comes to finance, we all need finance. And God wants to partner with us in our finances supernaturally and miraculously. So join us. We'll send out an all church text with a Zoom link. Join us. Um, we're, we're just going to be talking about what the Word of God has to say about generosity, and we're going to be talking about how we can, praying that we will have and experience financial miracles. Um, so we want to encourage you to do that and join us next Saturday, 9 a.m. It's half an hour. If you don't, uh, if you don't want to don't want a miracle, financial miracle, you can watch the Premier League. That's on at 9 o'clock. And of course, just to add to it, in the Premier League, they call May Miracle May, uh, interestingly enough. And that's, that's another story. But 
There are a lot of soccer teams that need a miracle. Well, um, yeah, including mine. And including Manchester United, and I'm looking around at some Manchester United supporters here. All right, here we go. Enough of that. I want to get into my message this morning. The title of my message is In the In-Between. In the In-Between. If you have ever been to London, one of the great cities of the world, one of the best ways to get around London is on the underground. And it's called by English people the Tube. Why is it called the Tube? Because basically it's a, chain, a train, an underground train, going through a tube around the city. And it's the quickest, fastest way to get there. Some of the underground stations, it seems like you go down and down into the very bowels of the earth forever and ever. But those underground stations have, have been there and the underground has been there, I, I don't know how long, but probably close to 100 years. During the Second World War, they were used as air raid shelters. But if you go to the underground, one of the things that you will see on the edge of the platform is the words, mind the gap. And going up on the screen there is a picture of it. Mind the gap on the edge of the platform. It should be written up here for me. Mind the gap. But the reason that that's there is the number of people who fall in the gap between the platform and the moving train. And it happens more often than you think. In an article that I read uh, from the Evening Standard in, in 2016, uh, I read, new tube trains were today blamed for a dramatic increase in the number of passengers falling into the platform gap at stations. A total of 307 incidents were recorded last year, three times the number before the $1.5 billion walkthrough fleet was introduced on the Metropolitan Circle, Hammersmith, and City and District lines. The problem is worst at Baker Street, where 52 people, one a week, fell last year. Blue warning lights have been introduced to alert passengers to the bigger gap between train and platform. So if you're going to London and you're getting on the underground, mind the gap. There's a gap between the platform and the moving train. And the reality is that uh, the, 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 the interesting thing about that is there's a gap between what's stationary and what's moving. And in all of our lives, there's a gap between where we are and where the things that are going to take us to our destination. And just like people fall into the gap between the platform and the train and never get to their destination, if we don't know how to navigate the transition or the gap between the two stages or spaces of our lives that we are currently in and where we want to go, we're never going to be able to get to our destination. We have to mind. We have to watch. We have to think before we step. We have to be mindful. In the gap, what is the gap? The distance between where we are and where we want to go. It's the, 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 that space that all of us experience in multiple areas of our lives. And so, as 
we think about this, the, it, it's important for us to understand that our ability to navigate life successfully is determined how we navigate the gap between where we are and where we want to be, between one season and another season, between one major event or occurrence in our life and another major occurrence in our life, between the stages and spaces of our lives. The dictionary definition of in-between is this. It's interesting, and I get this from the Cambridge Dictionary. It says, in-between is between two clear or accepted stages or states. And then it says, interestingly, therefore difficult to describe or know exactly. And when I read that, it made me think. The space in between where we are and where we're going is difficult to describe. It's difficult to, to uh, know exactly what's happening. It's difficult to navigate. You ever heard the saying, and I'm sure you use it, I feel like I'm between the devil and the deep blue sea. If you're a student of Shakespeare, Shakespeare says there's many a slip twixt the cup and the lip. Obviously not many Shakespeare students here. <laughs> there is many a slip between the cup and the lip. And, I, and ever, ever experience that? Yeah, I do every time I eat. There's many a slip twixt the fork and the lip. Um, so this is the Sunday after Easter. And in the days following Easter, Jesus' disciples were experiencing exactly this. They were in the in-between. They were between Jesus' death and resurrection and whatever came next. They'd been through a whole series of in-betweens. Between Jesus' death and resurrection, there was a day of devastation. There was a day of silence. There was a day of not knowing. There was a day of wonder. There was a day of, 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 of a sense of incredible loss. They'd navigated, of course, now the days following Jesus' resurrection. Jesus had talked about the the. The, the, the coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but they were in this state of flux. They were in this state where they were wondering, what's next? What's it going to look like? What do we do? How do we fill the gap or the void in our lives? And many times we go through experiences where there's a significant void that takes place in our life, maybe through a loss, maybe through occurrences that take place. Of course, everyone has experienced the events of the last couple of years that have disrupted our, our lives and the, 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 the rhythm and, of our lives and, and the patterns of our life. So all of us, but all of us have to navigate between yesterday and tomorrow. We're actually in the in-between right now. We're in between yesterday and tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll be in the same place, in the in-between yesterday, which is today, and tomorrow, which is the day after tomorrow. And so all of us have to navigate the, 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 the gap between the problem and the solution. Anyone have a problem? No. Yeah, well, well I'm, I'm in the gap. We're all in the gap. 
We're in the gap. We're in the in-between, the problem and the solution. We're in between the promise and the provision. We're in between the crisis and the breakthrough. We're always forever in the in-between. And we have to know how to navigate the gap. If you travel on the underground every day in London, which I used to do when I lived in London, you have to navigate the gap. You have to mind the gap every single day of the week. Because people fall in. And if I'm not minding the gap, I'm not going to be able to navigate whatever the, 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 the things in my life that are going to enable me to reach my destination. Right now, we're in the Sunday after the Sunday before. You know the morning after the night before? Well, this is the Sunday after the Sunday before, all over the United States of America. Not just in our church, record attendances Easter Sunday, the Sunday after, the Sunday before. We have to know how to navigate the, the, the seasons of life successfully if we're going to reach our destination. And knowing this, Jesus helped his disciples how to navigate these Days in between his death, his resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was going to take place 50 days after his death, 50 days after Passover. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 in the message version of the Bible. After his death, Jesus presented himself alive to them, that's his disciples or followers, over 500 that he appeared to in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and soon. So Jesus, knowing that the disciples were in this in-between stage, he spoke very clearly to their lives about a number of significant things. And I want to highlight what those things are in the latter part of my message. But before I do that, I want to talk about the gap or three gaps that the disciples fell into as they were walking from the platform into the train. And there are three gaps that all of us can fall into when we're in the in-between. So the first one was the gap, uh, the first gap in between was the, their reversion or reverting to default mode. It is the default gap. What's the default gap that we all have to deal with in our lives? Well, we read the story that after Jesus was resurrected and Peter was kind of, Peter was, I think Peter had ADD. I think Peter was one of those people that he always want, had to be doing something and he, he didn't know how to just sit. He was the one who opened his mouth on on, didn't know there was nothing happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there with James and John and, and, and 
Jesus is transfigured and he sees Jesus in all of his glory. He's the one who, who can't wait to, for God to speak. So he says, I've got a great idea. Let's build three booths here. One for you, Jesus, one for Elijah and one for Moses. And God says to him, shut up, Peter. <laughs> and he says, it's not in there, but he literally did say that. He said, uh, listen to me. Uh, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Peter was the one who had ADD. So when Jesus was, uh, when, when in this in-between, in the in-between, what did Peter say? I'm going fishing. Why was he going fishing? Because that was his default mode. Peter called him from fishing. He said, after the miraculous catch, he said, leave your nets and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. We could interpret that, that, Jesus, that Peter just thought, well, I'm going for some recreational fishing. This was not recreational fishing that was taking place here. Peter was going into default mode. And the reality is that for all of us, when we are in the in-between, our human tendency is to revert to our default mode. What is our default mode? Our default mode is that which we were doing before. The thing that we feel comfortable with. The thing that we're used to doing. The uh, circumstance or situation that we were in. Maybe it's the job that we were in before. Whatever it may be. In this case of Peter, it was his profession. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you also. They went out, immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. It's no wonder they caught nothing, because Peter had reverted from living by design to living by default. God has a design for our life. And the reality is that when we find ourselves in crisis, when our world is turned upside down, when we are in a in a in an in-between situation or place or stage in our lives, our human tendency is to revert to default rather than living by the new design that God has for us. God has said to Peter, you are a fisher of men. You are a fisher of fish. I have a new design for you. I have designed you and created you to be a fisher of men, not a fisher of fish. So, he defaulted to that which was he was in, accustomed to. To default literally means to go back to an original programmed setting. If you have an electronic device, there is a default mode that it will go back to. An original programmed setting. Whether it's for a computer, whether it's for something that's visual, whether it's for audio settings. And neuroscientists have discovered that there's a default mode network in our brain that causes our brains to revert back to default activity level after intense periods of concentration. So it's a very fascinating discovery that what they're discovering is that when, when you've been through... Uh, your brain has been through an, uh, a time of intense activity, it's natural when you rest, it's natural uh, response is to revert to default mode. What's default mode in our thinking? It's what we think about when we're thinking about nothing. Yeah. 
Think about it for a minute. When you're thinking about nothing, you're thinking about something. Your brain is on its own little railway track. You know when you go to, um, you go to Disneyland and you get on the Winnie the Pooh ride and it takes you through all those, ex that's what your brain does when you, get, when you go into default mode. It just says, leave me alone. I want to go on my little Winnie the Pooh ride. You don't even know where you're going or what you're doing. Your brain's just in default mode. That's why it's so important that we program our, 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 our brains so that actually we are on the Winnie the Pooh ride. We're not on the, what's the other scary ride? Snow White or one of those other scary rides at Disneyland that we don't want to be on. We program our brain so that our brain, when we're in that default mode, our brain is meditating on what Paul says, whatsoever is good, what's lovely, what's admirable, whatever is of good report. Think on these things. So they went into default mode. And God, Jesus said to them, when they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing, he said to them, Throw your nets, he called out from the shore. I've stood on that beach. Who wants to come to Israel with me and stand on that beach? I've stood on that beach where Jesus cooked breakfast for them. And he called out to them and said, hey, have you caught anything? And they said, nothing. And immediately, John knew it was Jesus. And Peter, the impulsive one, jumped out of the boat and, and swam to shore. And they cast their nets over the other side of the boat, and they caught a miraculous catch. Jesus said, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. You've diverted, you've, you've, you've uh, succumbed to living in default mode. You've got to start to live by design on the other side of the boat. And so they had fallen into the gap of reverting to default mode in their lives. Jesus said, I've got a supernatural harvest for you. But that only comes when you're living by design, not by default. Gap number two that they fell into was the gap of disorientation. Disorientation. Um, that dictionary definition actually describes a state of disorientation. Uh, a state that is difficult to describe or to know exactly. You can't describe it. You can't define it. It's, it's difficult to describe and it's also difficult to navigate. When you're in that in-between time in your life, it's hard to know where to go. It's hard to know how to navigate. It's hard to know what to do. And it's very disorientating. The disciples were in an intense period of disorientation. And that disorientation happens in when we're in the in-between. And the disciples had to navigate a high degree of ambiguity. Whenever we're in the in-between, there is always a high degree of ambiguity. What does the word ambiguity mean? The, the dictionary definition is it's an example of the fact of something having more than one possible meaning and therefore possibly causing confusion. Wherever there's ambiguity, there is the potential 
for confusion. And the disciples had to navigate the ambiguity of being in the in-between and the confusion of not knowing where to go or what to do. And it's exactly the same for every one of us when we're in the in-between. Remember, Jesus had told them they'd heard two things. And I, I, I can sympathize with the disciples in a way because we read the Gospels in hindsight. But they were in the midst of the moment and Jesus said, after I've risen from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. Therefore, they're all thinking, well, we, after Jesus rises from the dead, we need to go to Galilee. Then Jesus had also, previous to his death and resurrection, had said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem after my resurrection, because in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is where I'm going to pour out my spirit. Okay, so if you and I had received those directions, there would be a certain level of ambiguity in the middle of that because we'd think, am I supposed to go to Galilee or am I supposed to stay in Jerusalem? And there was a high level of disorientation that is described in Luke's account of the day after Jesus' resurrection or the day of Jesus' resurrection where two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem. Cleopas and another disciple. They're walking away. So they're not even going to Galilee or Jerusalem. They're going to Emmaus. They're obviously disorientated until Jesus appears, walks beside them, and reveals himself to them. And their disorientation is, is, is turned into a new direction full of vision and hope, having seen the risen Christ. So when we are in a situation where often we're in between, there's a lot of ambiguity. And it's so important that we don't fall into the gap of ambiguity when we're in between. I was talking to our friends recently, uh, yesterday in fact, who were, who were with us. Um, our friends from Australia. Uh, Gary Price and his daughter Bindi. And I've known Gary for 34 years. He uh, was a part of our church in, in Sydney. And we're here, like Di said, on business. But we had the wonderful opportunity of a surprise visit that turned into more than just a breakfast, but a lunch and a dinner and a, another breakfast and uh, 24 hours of just connecting and just being refreshed. How many know I was thinking how refreshed we were the Bible says that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And although we were hospitable, uh, which is what we love to do, we were, we were every bit as refreshed as they were. And we were talking about times of disorientation. And, and I, I, I quoted to him what Robin has said to me. Robin, who runs Grief Share and, uh, and has said often uh, that when you've experienced a significant loss, that's not the time to make a major decision. You need to wait uh, and let and process through the grief and process through the loss before you begin to make any major decisions. Because the chances are in the emotional navigation of a very disorientating time, the likelihood of making a wrong decision is much higher. 
We are much more vulnerable in these moments. And so we were talking about that and interacting along those lines. And it's so true. I have often said to people, when you're in the middle of the storm is the worst time to make a major decision. When you're in between the safe, the, the calm waters or the safe haven of one port and the safe haven of another port and you're in the middle of a huge storm, that is the wrong time to make a decision. When you're in financial crisis, that's not the right time to make major earth-shattering decisions unless you're getting counsel and input and advice from people that you trust and people who are wise who are maybe not as emotionally involved as you are. When we're in crisis, when we're in between, that is the time when we are most vulnerable and that's the time when we need to be most careful. We've lost our normal points of reference and that's when we need to make sure that we don't fall into the gap of disorientation. I will say this, and I don't want to keep referring back to this, and I don't believe that I do, but I believe that in the last two years, one of the biggest things that has happened over the face of the earth is that multiple, multitudes of people have become disorientated in the midst of the disruption that has taken place. And it's evidenced in the church and church attendance and so on, right across the face of the earth, not just here, but all over the world, in every single country on the face of the planet, there's been significant disorientation because the normal points of reference that have been so, we've been so used to and we take the bearings from in our life have all been shuffled and moved around and, and, and we no longer have those points of reference and we have to reestablish those. And I'm gonna talk about those three things in a moment, how we can avoid falling into the gap of disorientation. The third thing, the third gap is the gap of passivity. Passivity. So gap number one was the gap of default. Gap number two was the gap of disorientation. Gap number three is the gap of passivity. And we get a glimpse of that passivity in the story about right at the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. So we have these significant moments. Jesus' death, two days later, or on the third day, Jesus' resurrection. Uh, 37 days later, or 40 days after Jesus' death, is Jesus' ascension into heaven. Interesting, there are no numbers in the Bible that are random. 40 days from Jesus' death to his ascension. What's 40? The number of 40 in the Bible is the number of testing. So Jesus was doing something with his disciples. This wasn't necessarily a test like an exam. It was a test to strengthen them for what was coming. All that they were going through. And even though they might have fallen into the gap of default, uh, of living by default, even though they may have fallen into the gap of disorientation, even though they may have fallen into the gap of passivity, Jesus was through these experiences over these 40 days strengthening them for their mission and what he had called them to do so when we're in the in-between remember God is strengthening us he is testing us 
He is giving us steel. He's putting metal in us so that we can be strong and fulfill what he's called us to do. So here we are. Um, Jesus is at the point of his ascension into heaven. And his disciples say to him, as he's about to ascend into heaven, his disciples say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom? Could you say that again, please, Peter? Lord, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom? Hopefully, they're hopefully asking him. And Jesus, I would love to know what Jesus was thinking at that moment. But Jesus said, it's not for you to know the day or the hour that that will happen. Not only were they wrong when it came to the timing, they were wrong in the nature of the kingdom that God had come to establish because Jesus had come to establish a spiritual kingdom before he established a, a physical kingdom. It's the way God works in us. He establishes his kingdom in us spiritually before he establishes it physically in the physical material aspects of our lives. And so they're asking him, will you at this time? And Jesus says, no. And then he ascends into heaven. And there's something, when I read this, I always find it comical. They're standing there with their jaws open wide. Well, all of ours would be. Jesus was literally ascending into heaven. And then an angel says to them, men of Galilee. You know, Jesus had just said, go into all the world and make disciples. And then they're standing watching Jesus ascend. And Jesus says, men of Galilee. Why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who ascended in heaven in this, in this way will return in like manner one day. Go and do what he has asked you to do. There is within this whole story a, a kind of theme of passivity. The disciples were waiting for Jesus to establish his kingdom because they had already marked out the positions that they wanted. They want the 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 you know, portfolio that they would be given by Jesus when he established his government. They'd already had all this in mind and, and they still didn't understand the nature of the kingdom that Jesus had come to establish. So they had this passive mindset where they were just waiting for God to do something. And I, it's so easy when we're in the in-between, when we're in the in-between to become passive. Let's just see how it all works out. Let's just see what happens. But there's nothing passive about God. Someone once said, two-thirds of God's name is go. God said to them, go. God didn't say to them, he did say wait, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes so that you can go empowered by the Holy Spirit. So they had fallen into this gap of passivity Three things we need to avoid when we're in the in-between, in any area of our lives. Reverting to default, becoming disorientated, and becoming passive. And so Jesus addressed this by these, the, the potential for them in the in-between to fall through in, in the gap 
by doing several things in what I would call 40 days of engagement. I want you to think about that for a moment. If you're taking notes, write it down. 40 days of engagement. How, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that we, we have a countdown to Easter, but in our tradition there is no countdown from Easter. 40 days of Lent are the 40 days leading up to Good Friday. But actually there are 40 days from uh, Good Friday to Jesus' ascension, which were 40 days of engagement where Jesus engaged with his followers, followed 10 days later by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage our church to engage in 40 days of engagement. And three things that Jesus did that I want to highlight here. The first thing that he did as he engaged them was he had face-to-face -face meetings with them. Acts 1 and verse 3, after his death, Jesus presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days in face-to-face -face meetings. He talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus engaged with his disciples in face-to-face -face meetings. And it was in those face-to-face -face interactions that Jesus was able to put strength in them, to encourage them, to help them to navigate this gap in the in-between. And the reality is when we're in an in-between stage in our life, whatever it may be, it's so important that we engage with Jesus straight away very often we might get and, and again I was talking about this with our friends yesterday very often we might get a piece of news that might be something we don't want to hear or something may happen and our friend Gary said to me one of the things we were talking he was asking me what I was going to be speaking about today he said one of the things that he noticed was he asked himself the question, what is the gap between the moment that he hears something needs to be done and the time that he asks God to help him? And I thought, wow, that is a great thought. Because I know myself, my natural reaction is, as soon as I get something happens, I go straight, the wheels start turning, and I go straight into um, action. What can I do? What, what needs to happen? What needs to be done? And sometimes asking God for his wisdom and asking God for his help kind of comes at the end of that internal process. But I was encouraged as I thought about it. I want to close that gap. In these next 40 days of engagement, I'm closing that gap. Asking God to help me is the first thing I'm going to do before I try to work anything out with my own natural reasoning or, you know, sometimes we think we're a whole lot cleverer than we really are. And God knows the beginning from the end. I'm going to close the gap. I'm going to have a face-to-face -face meeting with Jesus. Let's have some face-to-face -face meetings with Jesus. And I'm not talking about, I'm literally, God hears you. He's there. All you've got to do is talk to him. Just like you would talk to anyone else, he's there. Number one, a face-to-face. -face. There is no substitute. Jesus does not want to have a Zoom call with you. 
He doesn't want to receive a text. He wants to have a face-to-face -face meeting. And there is no substitute for that. And the next, it leads to the next point where we read, the next thing was, they ate meals together. As they met, it goes on to say, in face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father had promised. Jesus engaged them by establishing community around the table with them. We read that the sheep had been scattered, the disciples had been scattered, and Jesus was regathering them around the table. And I feel like, I really feel like this is such an important part of what God is wanting to do right across the world is in causing us to gather together in this time of scattering over the last two years of regathering together around the table. Now, of course, every Sunday we share communion together. That's the Lord's table. And there are many people who will join us online, but we have more than more than just this opportunity here to gather around the table and be and encourage one another and engage be engaged not just partaking of communion together in the early church they broke bread from house to house in our houses around our tables i love our life group every week when we have our life group we eat together and it's one of the central parts where we share what's happening in our week or what's happening in our, in our world. And, and, and I know that I look forward to it and everything that I, you know, everyone else seems to look forward to it or they say that they do. It's a great time of connection. And, uh, and, and as they ate together, as they broke bread together, Let's do everything that we can. And we have multiple forums where we can do that. Maybe just having a cup of coffee with someone, having lunch with someone, having, uh, uh, we have a women's gathering, a sisterhood on, on, the seventh, on, the, on the Saturday before Mother's Day. We have, you know, the men gathering and getting together, the, the, the other groups, smaller groups. After church on Sunday, we have lunch spots where you can eat together. Um, and gather with your friends and connect together. But they ate together and it enabled them to become re-engaged in the central purpose that God had for their lives, which was beyond their day-to-day -day activity, but was to all to do with the kingdom of God and the eternal purposes for which God created each and every one of us. And then finally, he engaged them by focusing on kingdom purpose. And he said to them, wait, wait for the promise of the Father. And that word wait means in the Greek meaning of the word, the Greek is perimeno, which literally means to remain steady, regardless of obstacles involved, to endure putting up with surrounding difficulty. What an awesome thought that is to wait for the Holy Spirit to put up with surrounding difficulty to wait regardless of the steady regardless of the obstacles around about us 
And Jesus said, don't get diverted. Don't become distracted. Don't become disoriented. Don't revert to default. Don't allow yourselves to, to do that. But wait. Focus on God. Focus on the kingdom. Focus on kingdom purpose. And he engaged them. Can we engage in the next 40 days face to face with Jesus? Table to table, steady in purpose. We're going to engage face to face, table to table, steady in purpose. Can you believe God for that? Let's stand together. Our worship team are coming right now. Over these coming weeks, we're going to talk about miracles. As many of you know, our son is a pilot. He flies aircraft every day. He spends $100,000 of your tax money every day in gas. But I've learned this lesson about the four forces of flight. I don't want to live my life landlocked. I want to get off the ground into the dimension of the Holy Spirit. Paul said this, for the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I can live by the principles of God's spirit, which supersedes all of the gravity of my humanity and my failings. And that for an aircraft to get off the ground, this is very simple principle. Thrust has to exceed drag and lift has to exceed weight. We all struggle with the weight of our humanity and the weight of our problems. We all struggle with the drag of life, of the, the, the challenges and the struggles that we face in life, but the Holy Spirit gives us the thrust that will exceed the drag and he gives us the lift that will exceed the weight so that the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus can set me and you free from the law of sin and death.